Good morning. Maybe we can take up the tithes and offerings while I adjust this. The music guys took my stand that doesn't let my laptop fall down. But we're going to take up the tithes and offerings. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be starting in verse 15. wonderful to be here together again, and uh, we have got an amazing passage of Scripture, and I uh, just asked the elders for a bit more time today because we're actually going to do some questions and answers. So you should actually have on your seat or on the seat next to you a piece of paper, and uh, if you would like a pen, if you stick up your hand right now, some lovely people will rush a pen to you because what we're going to do at the end is if you've got any questions that come up during this message, if you write them down and we like your question, I'm joking, we, uh, Nadine and I are actually going to answer questions just now. So if you just keep your hand up, we can get a pen to you. Uh, if you want to know who's going to win the Super Bowl, I can't tell you, uh, but, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll answer questions from the passage. I just, uh, as, as pens are going out, we're about to jump into a passage that is well known. It's a passage about marriage, and I just want to talk to you if you're not married. So if you're not married, you don't have to put up your hand, uh, but I just want to talk to you quickly, because on a, there's one hand, he's available, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> we, we could do something here this morning. No, I want to just speak to you if you're not married. Don't check out from a message like this because A, you might be married in the future or you might want to be married. True story? So this, this will serve you now even if you're not married. And secondly, if you're not married but you're part of a family of faith, it's actually part of your job. You know, marriages, wedding ceremonies are a public occasion, aren't they? And one of the important parts of that public ceremony is that when people make their vows to each other, they're asking their family, the extended Christian family, not just their own family, to help them to make good on these promises that they're making. And so you're going to hear some stuff about Christian marriage, and even if you're going to be single for the rest of your life, you actually have a role to play to call people to this standard of biblical marriage. Does that make sense? So whoever you are, I want to encourage you to, to just uh, press in today. I'm going to start by not reading the text. We'll get to the text in just a moment. I want to start by talking about marriage being like a garden. And uh, I think that's appropriate because marriage started in the garden, didn't it? It started in the Garden of Eden. And I want you to, in your mind's eye, to think of marriage as a garden. It's a God-ordained and good gift from God. Marriage is a good gift from God. There, there are many people who don't view marriage as good these days because of sin and pain, but marriage is a good gift to men and women and ultimately, therefore, to their families and to society. When a marriage is good, it blesses children and actually it blesses a church, it blesses a community, it blesses society. Although our world kind of treats marriage as rubbish, there is a real problem coming in the future for our world because if you under, 
uh, undermine the institution of marriage, you're actually undermining the whole of society. So marriage is good. Marriage was part of Genesis 1 and 2. We're reading Genesis at the moment. It's a creation ordinance. What that means is it's what God established in the garden right at the start. It was perfect and it was beautiful. Marriage is not primarily a cultural practice which changes over time and differs all around the world. Although different cultures do do different things around marriage, marriage itself is not about culture. Marriage itself was in creation before culture. Marriage is actually a creation ordinance. And so when we come to think about marriage, God has given some guidelines in Scripture. There's actually not a lot but God has given some guidelines, and then cultures add their own. But God has given some guidelines, and those guidelines do not change because they are not linked to a culture or a time. They are before the fall of humankind. And so what we see in Scripture will never be updated because God's Word is eternal. And so one of these uh, One of the guidelines that we find in our passage today in Ephesians, when we read it, one of the guidelines that God's given for marriage is that there are differentiated roles between men and women in marriage, I'm talking about. Just say, in marriage? In marriage. Okay, say it like you mean it. In marriage. There are differentiated roles in marriage for men and women. That's how God created the world. The differentiated roles do not find their place in culture, but in God's creation. Let me explain what I mean. Adam was given Eve by God, not by culture, as his helper. That's Genesis 2, verse 18. And together, God blessed this equal and yet diverse couple, God blessed them together as His image bearers, the ones who bore His image. God blessed this couple that was equal and yet diverse. He gave them a mandate to rule over the whole earth. That's a mandate together for them to rule. You could say Adam and Eve Marriage is like a special type of team. I'm going to keep saying that today. It's like a special type of team. It's a one flesh team. There's a mystery. Two people become one, and yet they're still two. It's a special type of team that are joined together in marriage. They are co-image bearers of God. They are equal in value and equal as image bearers of God. And yet they have got different roles within the team. And that's what's true of all teams. If you, if you take soccer, if you've got uh, um, 11 goalkeepers, how are you going to do? You might not get any goals scored against you, but you might not score any goals either. And so all teams have got different people who are together on one team. There's different roles within it. And so this is a special team given by God. Now... Sadly, Genesis 3 is in our Bible. And in Genesis 3, we read about the fall of Adam and Eve, recorded in Genesis 3. And so those guidelines that God gave, the different guidelines to to men and women, those guidelines were distorted in the moments that Adam and Eve sinned. So the good creation that God had made was messed up. 
And you can actually read that in Genesis 3, particularly Genesis 3.16. And so if we come back to this analogy of a garden and the marriage that happened in the garden, just think about the effect of the fall on the planet, on, on, on the earth. When the fall of humankind happened, the earth, the Bible says, didn't just produce flowers, but it began to produce weeds as well, thorns and thistles. And now what used to just grow, fruit used to grow, flowers used to grow without any weeding, now there is weeds in this garden. Weeds now grow in this garden in Genesis chapter 3, and so although it was a good, perfect garden, there's now weeds that are growing in this garden as well. And marriage, if you imagine marriage as a wonderful God-given garden, which was intended for man and woman to tend and to care together and to delight in and to enjoy the fruit and the flowers of, marriage too was good. It was given by God. It was good. But because of the fall, just like on the earth there are now weeds in the earth, there are kind of weeds in your and my marriages. Amen? Do you know what I mean? There is even hard work and sweat. What, what could just be easy sometimes isn't so easy. Even Nadine and I, yesterday, we had a, a disagreement that took longer than you would have liked. Took more sweat than it should have. I was obviously preaching on marriage today, okay? Stop laughing, Mike. And so just like the earth used to be perfect, but after the fall, now there's weeds and sweat. Marriage, which used to be perfect, all of us have only ever seen marriages or experienced marriages that have also got weeds and sweat involved. Does that make sense? More than that, marriages now can have seasons of dryness, where honestly, there's no fruit or flowers to enjoy in this marriage. And so sadly, many people in any church or any community, many people even in this room, people I spoke to even this week could testify that for them, marriage is sad, hurtful. They feel disillusioned, hopeless, disappointed because of what they've experienced in marriage. That is true. There are seasons that people would describe as a dry season, a hopeless season, where there's no evident flowers or fruit. And so now because of the impact of the fall, although just, just like the earth, it still produces crops, but now it requires an intentional investment, so to marriages, the garden which is our marriage, requires an intentional investment, it requires sweat as it were, so that they will produce flowers and fruit. It doesn't just happen. And so just like a garden needs pruning and watering and weeding and fertilizing, if you married, your marriage needs that intentional investment if it's going to produce flowers and fruit. So we can't ignore the seasons. When you think about a garden, you, you can't just ignore the seasons. God set up the world that there's seasons, and you can't ignore God's ordained plan for plants, and some plants like shade, and some plants like lots of water, and some plants like less water. You can't ignore that. You can't say, well, I'm just going to do it my own way. No, God set up the world that flowers and gardens respond in a certain way, and it is exactly the same with marriage. You can't just say in 2019, well, we used to think that, but now we think God's rubbish, and we just think our own things, and we'll just decide whatever goes now. Well, if you did that in the garden, you'd have chaos. 
because God sets certain things up in a certain way. They're not part of culture. How gardens grow are not part of culture. It's part of creation. Marriage is not part of culture. It's creation. And so if we ignore what God says, you're doing so at your own peril. Culture shifts have not changed God's established plan in creation. His good way for marriages to thrive and to grow. Why? So that there will be fruit, so that there will be flowers, so that there will be delight, and ultimately that God would get glorified in our marriages. Amen. And so marriage, like all things in creation, has been damaged by sin. But do you want to know what God's been doing ever since Genesis 3? God's been at work redeeming what was damaged. God's been at work putting back together what was damaged. And so when we read Ephesians chapter 5, we need to read this is God's redeeming what has been damaged so that it can be beautiful and fruitful again. And so when Ephesians 5 gives us as believers some guidelines for marriage, we need to remember that these guidelines are part of God's plan to redeem what's been damaged, to bring it back to His original plan. So let's get to work to understand what God wants to redeem in marriage, but we're going to start in verse 15 because it leads into our passage. So Clint preached on this last week, but Ephesians 5.15, it'll be up on the screen, says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And jumping to verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. This passage, as we heard last week, tells us that there are two ways that you can walk through life. You can either walk wisely or you can walk unwisely. Those are your options. And the strong encouragement of Scripture here is that we would do the latter, that we would walk wisely, not unwisely. And so that means that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we get the Holy Spirit's help. And then from verse 19 through to 21, Paul unpacks what will happen if you're walking a life that is full of the Spirit. And I'm not going to read it all here, but basically it says that there will, the Holy Spirit will lead us to worship. The Holy Spirit will lead us to be thankful for everything. The Holy Spirit will cause us to live out our relationships with one another in a way that values one another as equal image bearers, just like God planned before the crea creation of the world. God wants us, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we value every person, men and women and young and old and every culture. We value everyone, and so we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We listen to one another's interests. We love one another because Jesus has loved us and He's given us eyes to see the value of the people around us. That's verse 21. And so we to mutually submit to one another. That is the atmosphere and the attitude of the local church. That is what we're supposed to do. We to pre prefer one another. We to want to serve one another. We to listen to one another. We're not just to speak ourselves and want everyone to listen to us. And so this attitude ought to characterize the, the, the heart of all of our relationships with one another, full stop. Can you agree with that? All relationships should be under that banner. But then, Scripture zeroes in on four relationships where there is some specificity. There is some specific roles for certain people. 
Let me show you these four relationships. They're going to come in the next few weeks as we preach into them. There are four relationships here. Firstly, there's Jesus and his church or his people. Now, mutual submission, does Jesus submit to his people? Not a trick question. Does Jesus submit to his people? No, his people submit to him. Wives and husbands, wives should submit to their, to their husbands. We'll get into that one in a moment. Children and parents, do parents get told to submit to their children? No. And then employers and employees, do employers get told to submit to their employees in this passage? No, they won't. We'll cover that in the weeks to come. Friends, there's this general instruction for us to mutually submit to everyone. That's the attitude and the atmosphere of all of life. But then, and we're going to look at each one of these, in the next few passages, there are some specific examples to specific groups of people within that big general command. And today we're going to focus on the command for husbands to do something and for wives to do something, remembering this is not a culture thing, this is a creation thing. And so let's come back to that in just a moment. So husbands and wives, let's read from verse 22 through to 33. And let's submit ourselves to God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, because you want flesh, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. This, is, this should remind you of Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's not very popular in 2019. So let's talk about gospel-centered marriage dynamics. You would have noticed quite a few uh, phrases in those verses that were highlighted in yellow. The key to all this teaching that you're going to hear today, the key to all this teaching is Jesus. Just remember that. The key to all this teaching is Jesus. There are three Greek phrases that are repeated over and over and over again from verse 22 to 33. I'm not going to try and say them, but they are translated into English in the following way. As to the Lord. In other words, you should submit as to the Lord. Even as, now as, so also, as Christ. You should love as Christ, just as Christ has loved. And all of these words in Greek put all together make one big point. This is the point. How Jesus has loved us and how we want to love him back 
because of his love for us, is how we to love one another in marriage. Should I say that again? The example for us, for how we should love in marriage, is how we've been loved by Jesus. And how we love him back by submitting to his lordship, that is how we to love in marriage, whether you're a husband or a wife. So if you want to work out how to do marriage, you need to be loved by Jesus and you need to love Jesus back. And you need to keep on meditating on that. We're gonna break bread just now on purpose today because we're gonna remember how God in Jesus has loved God, but that he's laying down his life for us. This is how you know what love is. Not that you loved God, but that he loved you by dying for you on the cross. And as we as believers focus more and more and more on who Jesus is and how he's loved us, it'll help you to be a better husband and it'll help you to be a better wife, both of you the same. So the gospel is not just how we were saved, but the gospel must shape every relationship that we have. So let's look at the two God-ordained creation roles, not culture roles, but creation roles that were given to men and women who are in marriage. We're talking about marriage. And the first one is redeeming the beauty of submission. It's like we need to see the garden as beautiful again. It's been seen as rubbish and despicable, but this morning I want you to see that God's creation is beautiful. Redeeming the beauty of submission. As a co-teammate to their husband, remember the special team that God's established in a marriage, as a co-teammate to their husband, wives are called to submit to their own husbands, not to someone else's husband or someone who's not their husband, as they do to Jesus. They're to submit to their own husband as they do to Jesus. This is for believers. As you've already said yes to Jesus, in that way, because of how he's loved you, you to say yes to your husband. What does this mean for a wife to submit? Here's, here's a, a bit of a go from, from, from me as to what it means. It means to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. It means to respect, is the word in the passage, to respect, to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help him in obeying God. That's your job, to help him, because he needs your help badly. If I got the men to stand up right now, you'd go, oh my goodness, they need help. True story. You to submit and you to help him because, darling, he needs your help. Can you see him? Because he needs your help to obey God for himself and for your marriage. He needs help. How do you help him? By bringing your contribution, your strength, your faith, your gifts, so that he can do what God's called you to do together. Does that make sense? That's what submission is. So what does it mean to submit? In, if that's what submit means, what does it mean to submit as to Christ? Let's all think about this because we're all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, but wives in particular can think about this. Well, how do we submit to Jesus? Well, as Christ followers, we submit to Jesus' leadership. We tuck in under Jesus' leadership because of how he's loved us. We have no problem saying, yes, Jesus, because he's loved us with an everlasting love. Look at it. 
This is the reminder. He has loved us with an everlasting love. Who would not say yes, Jesus, to that love? He has loved us even when we were unlovely. He loved us before we loved him. His love transformed us, actually. He loved us when we were haters of him, and he just won us over because he just kept loving us. And because of all this love that has been poured on us by Jesus, we gladly surrender to his leadership. Because who wouldn't surrender to such loving leadership? And so we say, yes, Jesus, and we follow him and we work within the purposes that he's got for our lives because we're safe in his love. Who would not do that? You know, I was thinking about it. It's a loving surrender. It's not a breaking of the will. You know, this isn't very flexible. If I could, I could bend this to my will, but then it would be broken. Jesus doesn't bend us to his will. If you heat this up enough, it'll melt. It's metal. His love is so intense for you, it's like you just melt into his will. Can you see the difference? Jesus has loved us so incredibly, it's like a melting of our hearts. So if you'd call to submit as you do submit to Jesus, when Christian wives are urged to submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord, let's look at a few things that it is and isn't. They are not being, wives are not being instructed to submit to men in general. Can I hear an amen? No, no, no. Can I hear an amen? amen. There's a men in that. <laughs> Women are not less than men. Have you heard me? Quote, unquote. But wives are called to submit to their husbands. This is not a general command, this is a specific command for one category, which is called marriage. The command is limited. Did you notice, it doesn't say submit to someone else's husband. No, your husband, their husband. Those are the two words that are used. Secondly, wives are not being instructed to submit to sinful, harmful, hurtful, ungodly things. If a husband ever says to you, darling, we're going to go rob the bank right now because we're needing a bit of extra cash. <laughs> do, do you, I'm, I'm being stupid, but do you know what I'm talking about? Who do you submit to if you're a wife that's even higher than him? And if God says we don't do this, and he says, we do do this, what do you say? I corn him. Huh? I. Oh, I. Huh? <laughs> you don't just submit to everything only if it lines up with what God's revealed in Scripture. Am I clear? Wives are also not being told to follow mindlessly. Oh, whatever he says. No, 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 no. Wives, remember who needs your help? He does. That guy that I have to counsel, he needs your help. Trust me, I can tell you. And so 
you're not to follow mindlessly. You're to use all the faculties of your strength and your intellect and your talents and your ability to help the man. Because he desperately needs your help. This has got nothing to do with being mindless. It means activating what God's put in you. But not against him, but to help him. Fourthly, wives are not being demeaned and women are not being demeaned by this passage like our world thinks they are, as, uh, as though they are less than, but rather they are to join together with their husbands because they want flesh with their husbands in a united purpose as equals to follow through with God's mandate on their lives. More than this, it's important to say this, that these verses never instruct wives to put their husband in the place of Christ. Wives are not told to do that. Rather, they are to submit to their husband's loving servant leadership in the same way that they submit to Christ's leadership. So submission does not mean that the husband's word is absolute. Only Christ's word is absolute. And so no wife should ever follow her husband into sin because you cannot do that and still revere Jesus Christ, which you're told to do in verse 21. So submission does not mean surrendering all thought. It does not mean you don't have input in decisions or inferences because that would be no help. It does not come from ignorance or incompetence. But I want you to write down a verse. Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 to chapter 4 verse 1. Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 to Colossians 4 verse 1. This is what it says. It says exactly the same thing that Ephesians says. It just says it's shorter. You might say, well, why aren't we preaching through Colossians? Okay, it says it's shorter. And this is the phrase that it keeps using. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then it says, as is fitting in the Lord. As is right for God's people. That's essentially what it's saying. This is right. Submission is an inclination of the will to say yes to the husband's leadership. It's a disposition of the spirit to support in his initiatives, but by doing so, by helping him to lead and to obey Jesus Christ. It's by bringing your strengths to the team that is marriage, to bring all the fullness of your gifts and the perspectives that you have. And sometimes, this will cause your involvement to make him stop and pause and reconsider or even change his mind because of your role. That is a supremely significant role, not an insignificant role. No husband is infallible. No husband is all-knowing, and they better admit it quickly. They need the, God, the help that God has given them and husbands, therefore, you should cherish and you should honor the help God has given you in giving you a wife. Marriage, as God intends, is a special team that has got designated roles, but they work together in unison to glorify God. And when they do that, the flowers and the fruit that you want in your marriage will be there. You choose to go the way of the world, you choose to go the way of the world. Throwing off any differentiation of role between men and women, as our culture would want us to do, is not godly wisdom. 
It is not God's design. It is not God's plan to redeem marriage that has been ruined by the fall. In fact, the, 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 all the, the wrong stuff that we see in marriage is the result of the fall, but God is wanting to redeem it. Wives, the scriptures tell you that you are to submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And that brings us to what has the Bible told husbands to do? Amen. So what is the husband's responsibility in this unique team with two roles? The husband's responsibility is to lead and to love like a servant. Again, I want to say to you, this is an instruction or a command to men who are married, not rooted in culture, but rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in creation. Christian married men are to love their wives. Now, I find it very interesting that wives are never told to love their husbands. Now, do you think they should? You don't seem sure. I think they should. I think wives should love their husbands as well. But, but it's like the men needed a, a reminder. Right? The men needed a reminder. And this is not eros love. This is not sex this is agape love, which we'll get to in a moment. And the husband is the one who needs to be reminded of this, and the Bible knows it. Husbands, you are to love your wives. This is the most challenging verse in Scripture for any man. As Christ loved the church. Just as, is the, is the ESV translation, just as Jesus loved his bride, his church, just as Jesus has loved, that's how you do love. That's your standard. There is no other standard. You are to give yourself, I've put a picture of the cross there, because husband, that is what, when you think husband, and you think I'm the head of this home, yeah, you're the head of this home on the cross. God gave you the responsibility to love sacrificially for her. Jesus died in my place for my son. When last did you die to something for your wife? Because of sin, sadly, leadership and the headship role for husbands is broken all around us, isn't it? The scourge of women and children abuse, it is atrocious. Men and husbands have typically responded to the fall. They've sinned in two main ways, and normally they do both of them. Men have responded to the fall of sin by either abdicating responsibility, by just sitting on the couch with a beer and a remote control, and abdicating responsibility, or they've harshly demeaned the woman in their life and ruled over them with a harshness that is ungodly. And both of those are wrong. You know what? The art of being a godly husband needs desperately to be redeemed. Can you say amen to that, ladies? The art, I almost want to start a club, you know, like godly husbands, you know, like, like the art of being a godly husband needs to be redeemed. And that's exactly what this passage is trying to do here. The vision of a godly husband here in Ephesians 5 is a man 
Just pick, if you're not married, just picture this man. Don't marry any other man than this man. A man who embraces his primary responsibility to love his wife as Christ has loved the church. A man who loves through sacrificial leadership, whose protection and care and provision for his wife and for his family. A man whose jeans are all worn out, not because he bought them at some fancy shop, but because he's been praying. If your man's not coming on Wednesday morning, shame on him. The standard for men is none other than Jesus. Jesus and how he has loved us. That's your standard, men. And so how has Jesus loved us? He wasn't thinking about himself when he died on the cross. He was thinking about you and me. How many selfish men are there? God has not called you to be selfish. He's called you to be like Jesus and to love so that you put away your golf clubs and you put away your fishing rods and you put away your whatevers and you serve your family and your wife in particular. How has Jesus loved us? He sacrificed himself for us. He took our burden on his shoulders. Man, why has God given you some shoulders? Because you're supposed to carry the load. You're supposed to take the weight. When your wife is worrying about something, you to take that load off her, not add to the load. You to take it off and you to say, I'll carry this, honey. Can you help me to carry it? Men, if I think about how Jesus has loved us, he didn't wait for me to be lovely. Well, when you're lovely, I'll love you back. No, he loved me when I was his enemy. He took the initiative. Real love, godly Jesus love doesn't wait. It takes the initiative. And it's a transforming love. His love, Jesus' love changed my heart from the inside out. When you love as you've been loved, your love will change the very person you do love. It'll change them. What's going on here? It will change them because of the love that you take. You're to love them with agape love, which is the word that is used for Jesus' love for us. And if you want to know what that is, just look up 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, which is a, a, an, out, an outworking, an unpacking of what agape love is. It's patient and kind and not arrogant and not rude and not insisting on its own way and not irritable. No, no husband's ever irritable, hey. Not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It loves all things. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things and it never ends. That's the love that Jesus loved us with. That's the love for husbands to love with. Husbands, you to love in this way, and when you love in this way as a head in your home and in your marriage, you will be countercultural and you'll be so attractive to your wife when you are like this, because you'll be like Jesus. This is the exact opposite. What I've just explained to you is the exact opposite of what has gone wrong in our world with men, isn't it? The husband must use the God-given role and responsibility in the team that he's in 
And what must he do with that responsibility and role? He must bless his wife by loving her and serving her in the 1 Corinthians 13 way. And when a man does this, I believe he makes it easy for the rest of the team, his wife, to play her role. When a man is really like Jesus and is loving like Jesus has loved him, I think it's very easy for the wife to then tuck in under such loving leadership. Remember how we submit to Jesus? He has just melted our heart with his loving actions towards us. And so we say, yes, Jesus. It's a willing yes. And then together, just remember that picture of the garden. They will see fruit and flowers, peace and joy, purpose and fulfillment appear in their marriage. Oh my goodness. It's gone long. Friends, this is God's word to us. Amen. I urge you to take it seriously if you want your marriage redeemed. Now, who wants to hear from my lovely wife on this topic? Huh? Come, baby. Just hold her in the chair. <laughs> so nice to have Nadine up here with me. We wanted to ask the question so, what does this look like in our marriage? What does loving leadership and submission, how has that felt for you? And so I'm going to just let my wife loose, and, uh, and you can scribble away any questions you like, and we'll talk for a little bit of time, and then we'll try and answer some questions, and then we're going to break bread and worship together. Amen. Go for it, babes. Okay. So um, <clears throat> submission for me I've kind of come, of, come at it from a, a place of wanting to obey Scripture. That's how I want to live my life. I want to live my life reading my Bible and hearing what Jesus wants me to do. So I can't pick and choose what I'm going to obey. If I don't like this, well, I'd rather not do that. He tells me to submit to my husband. And so that's why, that's my primary reason why I want to do that. Um, I've been blessed in that my mom and dad were an amazing example to me. Um, my, my dad was an amazing leader in our family, and my mom submitted willingly to my dad. And that never looked like my dad was overpowering and being authoritarian. It, it worked beautifully, and that's how I grew up. So I'm blessed that I always had a good example of that. So I've never felt like submission was a terrible thing or I'm kind of dig my heels in and I'm not going to do that. Um, it's always been a, a good thing in my eyes. Um, and then for how it's felt for me as being married to Gareth, um, it's always felt natural. It hasn't felt like something that we've got to, oh, yes, we must remember that, you know, you, I must submit to you. We've never kind of done that. It's felt like a natural thing that that's how we are. Um, and that has helped because I think we've both decided we're going to obey Scripture. So Gareth has tried to love me like Jesus, and he has, like Jesus loves me. And I've messed up many times. Though. Yes, yeah. and, I'm <laughs> and I've messed up many times too. We're not perfect in any way. Um, and also it's felt like Gareth has, has led me and led our family, but not in an authoritarian way that I want to say, golly, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to listen to this person who's lording over me the, all these rules and 
it's never been like that. So it's been easy to submit because that's been the experience. Um, it's made me feel safe that I've got Gareth, who's leading in our marriage, that I can kind of tuck under his leadership. It's made me feel safe. And it's released me to be free to be who God wants me to be and to live out how God's created me to be. Um, it's not been oppressive. Um, in making decisions in our marriage, it's not been Gareth makes the decisions and I say, okay, it's definitely not been like that. Um, I might look quiet, but I, I do have an opinion. <laughs> and so we've had some, we've had lots of discussions over decisions and sometimes we'll go with what I think and sometimes we'll go with what he thinks. It's not always his way because he's the leader. Um, I think there's only been one time in our marriage where we've had to say, okay, well, Gareth said, I feel like you need to just submit to what I thought here. So we had to make a decision, and we both kind of went separately to pray about this thing, and I got myself into a complete state about it, because I didn't, I, I felt like I couldn't hear God, and I didn't know what was right, and what I should do or shouldn't do, and it, it was stressful. And then God, Gareth came back, and he said to me, I feel like you just need to submit to what I feel God said to us. And it actually just took all the pressure off me, and I felt like, released, like, okay, he's got this. And I can trust him, and I do trust him. And that was an amazing example of being able to submit to leadership that is godly, and I can trust him, and it, it made me feel safe, and okay, he's got it. Just on that, um, we, we went away, we went to Kai Forest, we went two different ways to pray. We actually really needed to make this decision. We had been in it for a while. And I felt God say to me, ask Nadine to submit to you. And I'd never done that ever. And I kind of felt like, you know, like, <laughs> like we believe in submission, but I've never asked for it. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I, I just remember Nadine just saying, oh, you've made a decision. And, and I just felt so blessed because actually what God had asked me to, to say resulted in freedom, not, you know, a, a difficult response. And uh, so, yeah, that was quite an amazing thing. Hey, that's lovely. Thanks, babes. I think she did well, hey? Can I encourage, if you've got any questions, can you maybe just move them to the, to the, to, to, to the, to the center aisle right now, if you just pass them along, and we're just going to, we're going to go through a couple of questions and answers that people might have had. Uh, if you can write down quickly if you want to, we want to kind of scratch where it's itching for you. If there's anything that was said that you didn't understand or you wanted to ask a question, if someone could maybe just get those up to the front, hey? I'm going to help answer the questions. Huh? You've, all your questions are for Nadine, hey? So, um, so yeah, if you've got any questions, can we, can we get a few so we can start reading, Ant? And we can just get going. Just get someone's attention and we'll get it to you. Okay, I'm just going to get going. This one says, uh, Keegan, if you're in the band, can, can get ready. You might as well come up, come up now. Uh, when married to an unsaved husband, how does the saved wife cope with obeying Scripture at all times, especially uh, the respect side of it? I think that's a great question. So essentially the person's asked, so I'm saved, but I'm married to an unsaved husband, so how do I work this out? And so I'm going to start by saying, I think this is really difficult, okay? 
And so any answer I give right now isn't, uh, isn't to try and make it simple. I think this is really difficult. Ultimately, you do need to submit to Jesus, okay? But 1 Corinthians 7 does give you some teaching. I'd encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians 7, and there's some specific teaching for wives who are married to an unsaved person. Um, and again, I would just say in general principle, Yes, you still to submit to your husband, even if he is not a Christ follower. However, if he's wanting you to submit to things that are contrary to what the Bible says, then you wouldn't need to submit to that. And I think if you're finding this complicated, this is where it's great to be part of a church, because you can speak to some other mature woman. You could come and speak to leaders, and we could help you navigate that space. Anything else that you'd add, baby? Um, so this question talks about what is your understanding of culture and why there are so many cultures. Uh, I'm not going to answer that this morning, but if you've asked the question, because I think it takes us off topic, but if you want to, uh, I'd be more than happy to chat with you later. Um, quickly, if you've got your questions, now's the time to do them. We've got an opportunity now. Um, if you see Rob and Katiwa leaving, it's because Rob's preaching at uh, Ilfracom, not because he disagrees. So what if Nadine chooses to disagree on a choice that you made? What, uh, what if they were rebellious to what God said you should do? So we definitely don't always agree at all. Um, what? <laughs> um, we have to keep talking until we do come to an agreement. And we always have. So, I mean, that one time is the only time I can actually remember where we, we just couldn't come, I couldn't come to a decision or couldn't make a decision. But we always will just keep talking until we come to agreement. And it's not always um, clean and tidy. Sometimes it does get messy and we fight and get upset with each other. But you've got to get to a point where <laughs> somebody's laughing because they saw us at Meg and Bean and said, oh, it looks so nice you sitting there having coffee together. And I said, yeah, we were actually having a rip-roaring argument. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't notice. <laughs> so yeah, we'll keep talking until we get to a decision. So this person says, important, so I think they're underlining what I said earlier, never replace Christ with your husband. And then they've got a question from Scripture. Was it wrong for Sarah to call Abram my Lord? Wasn't she replacing God with Abram? And so just the word Lord in the Bible uh, just means master. Uh, that's all it means. Uh, and so that could be someone at work. It could be uh, you, you're, you're, a, you're a person in the army and there's a sergeant over you. It, it, it's just a general word. But when it's capital L in your Bible, and especially when it's all capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, now it's Yahweh, now it's God. And so the word that we know, our Lord, we're using that as God, but actually the word just means master, someone that you submit to. Okay, so uh, how did you know she was the one? Well, it's obvious, huh? <laughs> so uh, we don't have time to tell you our whole love story. My wife's playing around with my computer here. But uh, um, I can tell you that we are high school sweethearts, that we met when we were 16 years old. Aww. And uh, we went out uh, as boyfriend and girlfriend for six years. And then we got married uh, Nadine, uh, Nadine missed her, her graduation 
as a teacher because I couldn't wait anymore to go on honeymoon. So, uh, um, so yeah, so we, uh, we high school sweethearts. We worked out the other day that we've been together for, uh, for I think it's 29 years. And uh, so, yeah, praise God for that. Um, and I would love to pray for you later if you are wanting to find a husband or a wife. I would really love to pray for you. Go for it. Let's make this the last one. Um, marriage, culture, tradition, difference. Submission in everything. What is this? So, so the question is, how do you kind of put, where does marriage fit with culture and tradition uh, and, and the gospel? And what I've tried to answer for that is that marriage is cultural. It, it takes on all forms around the world, but it started in creation. And so when we read our Bible, we're going back to the Garden of Eden. And in every culture, you need to, there are good aspects of every culture, and there are neutral aspects of every culture, and there are negative aspects of every culture, right? The problem is when you're in culture, you can't see your own culture that well, but others can see your culture. And so you need to work out, Lord, what is the Bible's culture? And how do I work that back to my culture? Because there might be some things in your culture that you should be saying no to. And there are other things in your culture that agree with the gospel. Does that make sense? Great. I think we should worship. Thank you, darling. You've done so well. <clears throat> Marriage is God's design. Marriage is a creation ordinance not a culture ordinance. When we do things God's way, flowers and fruit will appear. Even if at the moment, there's no flowers and fruit. If you choose to be godly in the role God's given you and you pray and you trust God, it might be a very long road, but God can do miracles. I believe in the God of miracles, do you? And if you need hope for your marriage, or if you want to be married, or if you're really wrestling with what's been shared, I urge you to not just rush off today, but to come and speak to me, come and speak to, to, to someone, get prayed for. But we're gonna stand together, let's stand together. We're gonna remember Jesus. Why don't you, as you stand, why don't you all go and get the elements and go back to your seats and we're gonna break bread together. And then we're gonna close in a time of worship. There's not just gonna be one song, we're gonna focus our eyes on Jesus. Let's all get the elements. You guys are going to do later. We're going to have later. Okay, if you could come back to your seats at the same time when we finished with communion we'll go and fetch our uh, you don't have to fetch your kids but the kids will join us for worship come quickly back to your seats if you could I remind you in this incredible passage of all the those three Greek words that are translated just as Jesus as the Lord, as everything in this passage points to Jesus and what he did on the cross. So as we think about how do we do marriage, 
We need to think about Jesus. Amen. And so why don't you hold up the bread? This is a symbol of the body of Jesus. This, these loaves this morning have been broken into lots of little pieces. And that's a symbol that Jesus' body was crushed. He laid his life down. Take the, take the bread, remembering Jesus. And why don't you just thank him in your own words? Thank you, Jesus. This red juice represents the blood of Jesus that flowed so that we could be forgiven. I've no doubt there's people who need forgiveness this morning. Maybe you're a wife and you've been kicking and screaming against this and you felt justified by the world in 2019. Maybe you need to say, sorry, Lord Jesus. Maybe you're a husband and you've been ungodly in your leadership. You can say, sorry, Lord Jesus. And this grape juice reminds you, your sins are forgiven. So why don't you drink it now and then let's worship together. If you would value prayer later on, then come after worship.